Well, let's pray together, and then we're going to look at God's Word, all right? Uh, Lord Jesus, we are grateful for this season that is a reminder of the greatest miracle, God becoming a man. Uh, Lord, we know that without that miracle that none of the rest really are possible. We thank you that all of Scripture led up to that. Lord, the rest of Scripture builds off of it. Lord, thank you that we can build our lives on the fact that you became a man, lived a, a life that we could not live, died a death that we deserved but really could not die because only a perfect sacrifice would would be sufficient. And thank you, Lord, that you that you didn't stay dead, but that you were raised again to give us the promise of eternal life. Lord, that is our hope this morning. So this Christmas season, Lord, may we take back the things maybe that we have given away to the world to allow them to become meaningless. Lord, help us to be reminded of the true meaning and the true truth of what is this season. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We went to look at the Christmas lights last night in Central Park. You been there? Anybody been there yet? Driven, driven through there? Okay. Um, how many of you have a neighborhood where there's lots of Christmas lights decorated? Anybody got there? We had a neighborhood when I grew up in Louisville. They competed. It was insane. I mean, it was, you know, it was it, every house was Clark Griswold. That was just the way it was. But we, we went last night. It was really cool. We drove through Central Park, of course, and, and it was interesting. One of our kids made a comment as we were driving through, you know, hey, we don't do bad for a small town. You know, this is all right. And we, Murray does great. I mean, it's tremendous. We went to the, to the Christmas parade last night. Both of our daughters were in it. And, and that, of course, was a, a nighttime spectacular, I believe, is what it was, a spectacular. And so, uh, anyway, a parade that was uh, tremendous and, and such community support. And then that we drove through the Christmas lights display and, and it just keeps getting, it seems bigger every year. And, and it was really cool. We, we were starting to come back out of the park and we got to, I guess the kind of the hill right before you come down, uh, back toward the entrance and the exit there. And, and you could kind of look out and see all the lights. There's just something about Christmas lights. It's just really cool. And, uh, you know, whether you like to decorate or whatever, there's just something about them. I, I had one, uh, semi-failed experience of decorating with Christmas lights when I was in college. It was the last time I really ever tried it. Uh, it was it was semi failed. It sort of worked, but sort of didn't. We lived in a in a. I had a, a couple of roommates. We lived in an apartment over in what is. It's called Cambridge. I don't know if it's Cambridge One. I guess it is for those of you that maybe live there. Megan Drive is where it was, and so we we lived with the first little little triplex there, and so we were going to decorate for Christmas, and and we had seen lights displays and all that kind of stuff, and so I get up on the roof, and we're we're making a star, you know, like the the star. We're going to make it, and so I start nailing stuff in, and we get you know we get to going and whatever, and we decorate our little nativity scene out front, and then it rains, and the roof roof starts leaking. I wonder what the world's going on, you know? So I, I called, I called Ronnie Hubbard, as a matter of fact. Uh, Ronnie's now a church member. Ronnie back then was, was the guy that I used to call all the time if something went wrong when I was in college. And, and so Ronnie came over and he, he said, well, how'd you put it on? I said, well, I nailed it in. He, yeah, that's, uh, here's your problem. <laughs> and so, uh, that was my first and last attempt. He he was able to fix it and stop the leak, so we left the thing up there. But anyway, I, 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 I like looking at lights that other people put up, and so I just, uh, that, that's where I left it. But, you know, there's a significance to Christmas lights that we might not recognize when we just drive through a, a lights display or or we, we drive through and we see a neighborhood or a home next to us or whatever that is decorated. 
The significance to it, of course, is, is that that little baby is the star, is the light of the world. And those lights all symbolize the light of the world that is Jesus Christ. Our series that we're in for Christmas this year is called Taking Back Christmas. And we're not trying to be cynical. We're not trying to be angry. We're not trying to, to say, well, if somebody says happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas, you know, you need to grab them by the lapoon and just shake them and say it's not what it's about. That's not the point, okay? So if you go out of here and you do all that stuff, then you can deal with God on that. I didn't tell you to do it, all right? But we are talking about how can we truly just in and of ourselves, in our lives, in our individual lives, in our families, how can we take back what we've lost in the meaning, not the sentimental meaning, the true meaning of Christmas? This time of year, I'll be honest with you, I get a little bit cynical because everybody starts being nice to each other, or at least pretending to be nice to each other. People, they don't like all year long, they get them something for Christmas. They spend a lot of money on it. Why would you do that? Well, it's Christmas time. You're a hypocrite. You don't like that person at all. You just spent 50 bucks on that person. Keep it for yourself, you know? But So I get a little bit cynical about things. So I, I can get into that mode, if you're like that, where I just get angry about Christmas stuff. But this year, my, my prayer is that God would say, you know what? You can get angry if you want to, or you can recognize that all the stuff that we do, from the tree to the lights to the telling the story of Christmas to the presents and the music and all of that, ultimately we can't help but glorify God through the things we do at Christmas. You realize that? Do you realize that the lights display at Central Park cannot help, even if there was no mention of Jesus is the reason for the season, even if there was no mention of that, those lights in and of themselves at this time of year cannot help but glorify God. Why? Because the light of the world has come. We would not decorate with lights had the light not come. You understand? So it doesn't matter if someone says happy holidays. There would be no holiday without Jesus Christ. They can't help but in that moment glorify God by recognizing something about this time of year. So you don't have to get angry. We just recognize that, you know what, we can't help but but glorify God and represent what God wants, even if we don't want to, even if even if those folks don't want to. But anyway, our focus today is on taking back the light of Christmas. The reason that we didn't light the tree until this week was because we were focused this morning on the lights of Christmas. We're going to focus on it because we worship the true light of Christmas. Now, most of you know the Christmas story uh, from Luke chapter 2, where Linus gets up and he explains, of course, to Charlie Brown what happened in the great movie, uh, Charlie Brown Christmas. But of course, you know, the story doesn't begin, nor does it end right there. Hundreds of years before, it was prophesied that there would be a Messiah, a Savior, a Deliverer, who would come for the people of Israel and in fact be a blessing to all nations. It was promised to Abraham way back in the Old Testament. Uh, The prophet Isaiah wrote about this person who would come, this baby who would be born. If you got a Bible handy, I want you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, over in the Old Testament, Isaiah is a, a long book. If you turn to the middle of the Bible, you're probably going to be a little bit left of Isaiah, so turn to the right just a tad until you get to Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet during a time when the kingdom of Israel was divided and there were lots of ungodly kings who reigned and ruled. The people had rebelled against God. They had pursued other means of enlightenment and fulfillment in their lives, and they found themselves in darkness 
because they were controlled by these foreign kings and they were darkened by their own sin and they had abandoned God. And so that's kind of where we pick it up, this spiritual and physical darkness, if you will, because the nation is being ruled by someone outside of it and their spiritual darkness because they have they've walked away from the Lord. Uh, certainly people in the first century when Jesus was born, they found themselves living in a similar darkness because they were under the oppressive Roman government and certainly in today's world, in the 21st century. We are living in a very dark world, uh, dark times, where what is right is called wrong, and what is wrong is called right. And we know that, that that's just the way it is. But it's, it's not. Our time is not the first time when people have lived in darkness. Uh, the question back then during the time of Isaiah was, what would God do about it all? Uh, would he do anything? What would happen? What would God do? And the next time you see Christmas lights, or you turn on your tree, or you walk past this one, I want you to think about what we're going to read in Isaiah chapter 9. I want you to remember that Jesus is the light of the world. Uh, look in uh, Isaiah chapter 9, uh, look in verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their burdensome yoke, and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did in the day of Midian. For the trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for fire. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given, and the government will rest on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over its kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Now remember who he's writing to. None of that stuff had happened. None of that stuff was happening. It was dark. It, it was a tough time spiritually for people. It was a tough time uh, with their nation. And yet Isaiah is writing as if these things have already taken place. They were to look at this prophecy as if God one day will do these things to so live in light of the light that will dawn. It's interesting when you look at this and how Jesus fulfills all these things. Isaiah prophesied very specifically that this light would dawn and all the things that this Messiah would encompass, and that's exactly who Jesus is. A few things about this, Jesus being the light of the world, that become very obvious as you read Isaiah chapter 9. As he prophesies, of course, forward to the Messiah, we read it looking backward through the lens of Jesus. The first thing is that Jesus, he turns light, or turns darkness rather, into light. He turns darkness into light. First five verses make that very clear. In fact, verse 2 says that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of darkness, a light is dawn. I mean, think about from the very beginning of creation. What did God say first? Let there be what? Light. And there was light. Let there be light. From the very beginning of creation, God has been about turning darkness into light. And then here it is again, prophesied in Isaiah that one day God's going to do it again. There's going to be a light that will dawn on the people living in darkness. Some of us feel like we're just living in darkness right now. So we can relate to these people in Isaiah. And then it's fulfilled by Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. I've got lots of different scripture references this morning. Just encourage you to write those down. We're going to look at how Jesus fulfills this prophecy in Isaiah, how he truly is the light of the world. Matthew chapter 4, 
Verse 16 says it this way. The people who live in darkness have seen a great light. For those living in the shadowed, shadow land of death, light has dawned. Does that sound familiar? It's from Isaiah chapter 9. Jesus is saying those things about himself, and he's, this is what happened, and so on. And then it says in verse 17, from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus says, I'm here. I'm the light of the world. One day that light will dawn, now it is dawn. It's also demonstrated by Jesus, if you look at some of his miracles. What does he do to the folks who want to be healed of their blindness in their darkness? What does he do? He gives them what? Sight. They lived in darkness, right? If you did not have sight, or if your sight is going, it becomes a dark place to live. Jesus, symbolically, is giving light to people living in darkness. And then, of course, it's used by God, this idea that Jesus turns darkness into light. Everything is made different through Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians chapter five, verses 17 to 21, second Corinthians five, 17 to 21. Tell us that everything, when Jesus comes in, everything is made new. All the old is gone. All that darkness is gone and everything is new and bright and made to light from birth to death and beyond. Jesus was about bringing a great reversal darkness to light. That's what he did for the people that followed him when he was here on earth. That's what he continues to do for his disciples now. Those living in darkness have seen a great light. So he turns darkness into light. Secondly, he was sent for our benefit. Look at verse 6. A child will be born for us. Unto us a child is born. To us, for us, this Messiah will come for our benefit. This light of the world. What's the first thing that you do, if you can, when you enter a very dark room? You begin to search for what? Light switch. Need some light, don't we? I don't want to trip over something. I realize that darkness is probably not for my benefit. It's going to hurt. Jesus, this sun, this light of the world sent for our benefit, the light switch to come on. Because he became human, we, we know, the Bible tells us, his name is what? Emmanuel, which is God with us. We know because he came hum, became human that God is with us, the living word of God. Because he, he became human, we know that God, for our benefit, is not sitting on the sidelines of our lives, but he's down in the trenches with us. You realize that, that God could have become anything? He didn't become a tree, though. God didn't become an animal. What did he become? Human. Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 5, or 5, five through 11, rather. Uh, put it this way. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He came for our benefit so that we would know that God is with us. He says humbled himself becoming one of us. That matters. Because Jesus was a man, he showed us God is near to us, not distant. 
Sometimes you ever feel like God is distant out there somewhere? You go through those dry times? Your prayers are hitting the ceiling. I don't know if God cares about me. I, I don't, I, man, God seems really far off. Let me encourage you in those times, go back and read about Jesus. He has come to us. He gets in it with us where we are. And he loves us in spite of the mess that is often our lives. Not only that, but he, he benefits us because when he lived here on earth, he knew every temptation that we face. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 tells us. He knew every temptation we faced and he endured them all, it says, but without sin. He knows how to show us how to live. He became human showing us the life that we are to live. It says that the virgin will give birth, prophecy says. He showed us how to live a perfect life. Lived it on our behalf, as a matter of fact, because we can't live that life. And then, because He became human, we know that someone was able to die for us. This perfect, sinless sacrifice that God demands. You realize that God set all this up. You may say, well, why does somebody have to die for my sin? Because God said so. That's just simply the way it is. Well, I don't know if I like that. That's fine. Nobody said you had to like it. It's just the way that it is. Well, I, I'd like to be able to work it off some other way. Not going to happen. God said somebody perfect has to die. The penalty, the wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God, Romans 6 says, through Jesus Christ our Lord, is eternal life. We know that Jesus, because he became human, was able to die that perfect death that God demanded and therefore give us forgiveness of sin. We also know that because he became human, that, that he is the first fruits, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He is the down payment. He is the first, he is the example of what we will one day experience. And because he became human, we know how to get to God. The disciples were sort of darkened. They weren't sure exactly what was going on. John chapter 14. And they say, Jesus, what's, what's happening? What's going what's gonna to happen when you leave us? And Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And he says, you know the way to the place that I am going. And they say, we don't know. How, how can we know how to get there? And Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. He came to show us how to get to God. He is sent for our benefit. Thirdly, he is the source of all wisdom and all knowledge. The Bible calls him here the wonderful counselor. Light in the Bible is synonymous often with wisdom and knowledge. Now, I do some counseling from time to time. I'd be happy to talk with you and try to give you some biblical guidance on what uh, maybe your situation is calling for and so on. I, but I'm not a wonderful counselor like Jesus is. I'll be honest with you. My knowledge is very limited. My training is limited. My counsel, my advice are imperfect. But not like him. He is unlimited. He is perfect. Let me, let me just tell you this, okay? If we were to sit down and we talk about what's going on in your life, and like I said, I'd be happy to be honored to sit down and talk with you. But I cannot offer you, nor can anyone offer you, in my limited human capacity, what the living Word of God can offer you. 
Do not miss the fact that in seeking counsel, what should I do? I don't know how to handle this situation. Do not miss that the ultimate source, the main source of wisdom and knowledge is God's word. Jesus said, or John said about Jesus in, in John chapter one, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The very word, the counsel of God took on flesh, became one of us. You need counsel. You need advice. Look to Jesus. He brings perfect light to every situation. He helps us gain perspective, knowledge, wisdom, and a way forward. And there is no counselor like him, no teacher like him, no one who has wisdom and knowledge like him. In your darkness where you don't know what to do and you don't know the way forward, seek Jesus. Don't seek earthly and human wisdom. Seek Jesus. And if the earthly and human wisdom you're getting does not build on a foundation of Jesus Christ, dismiss it and move on. It has nothing to give you. Jesus, the wonderful counselor, the source of all knowledge and wisdom. And then next, he is the mighty God. His strength is perfect and available. He is a wonderful counselor, mighty God. The light of the world has overcome this dark world in which we live. He is the mighty God. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, running through the end of the chapter, talks about the spiritual battles, this dark world that we face. It is Jesus who gives us the strength because he was the one who went to the cross, conquered the dark world, and was raised again. He has overcome all that we face. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus telling his disciples, In this world you will have trouble. But he says, take courage, take heart, for I have overcome the world. And he is greater than the one who influences the world. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We know that his strength is perfect. He is the mighty God. His strength is available through Jesus Christ, through his Holy Spirit that that Jesus sent at Pentecost to live among us, to live in us. Next, he is the eternal father, the everlasting father. And so we know that as the, the perfect father that no one cares and no one protects like him. No one cares, no one protects like him. We talk about God as a father. For some, that brings up a very positive connotation because you had a great dad. Someone who loved you and cared for you and protected you and looked out for you and and helped you. So when we talk about God the Father, you say, oh yeah, that's, that's how I like to think about God because man, I had such a great example. And for others... You don't want to talk about God the Father. We talk about Jesus. We'll talk about the Holy Spirit. But I don't. It's not. I don't know about this God the Father stuff because my dad was no good. He, he he didn't care about me. In fact, he ran out on us. Or in fact, he beat my mom. In fact, he abused me. In fact, I don't want anything to do with this whole idea of God the Father stuff. Let me tell you this. God has the power. He has the ability to overcome your lack of a good father, to be even greater than your great father was. He is the eternal, the everlasting, the heavenly father. No one cares. No one protects like him because his love is infinite. Jeremiah chapter 31 promises that we will be loved. We have been loved with an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31, 3. Jesus talked about how he knows his children. He said, I am the good shepherd and my sheep hear my voice 
and they know me and I know them. No one cares and protects like our Heavenly Father, no matter what kind of father we might have had here on this earth. Next, Isaiah calls him the Prince of Peace. He makes peace between God and humanity. That's what the light of the world does. We are born into darkness. Do you realize that? When all these little kids come down here, and when we've got children here in the service, and we, we have children's activities and so on, I, I, don't, I don't want to offend anybody, uh, but the truth sometimes hurts. All of these kids are born into darkness. They're all born sinners. Not just will they sin, but they are born sinners. It's not as if we sort of get a, 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 like a clean slate and we can go either way. Do you realize, do you realize that hypothetically, though it's, it's not going to happen, but hypothetically, you could go through your entire life and hypothetically, theoretically, do everything perfectly and still be a sinner apart from God. Do you know why? Because it's not just what we do that needs to be changed and forgiven. It's who we are. Don't miss that. So we can't just clean up things on the outside and present ourselves to God and say, Hey, did I do enough? Is this good enough? You like this now? I mean, I kind of cleaned up things on the outside. Everything's good, right? Jesus didn't die to change our behavior. He died to change who we are. And so, when we see that Jesus is the Prince of Peace... The one who makes peace between us and God. It is not peace between our behavior and God. It is peace between our nature, who we are, and God. And only Jesus can do that. We are born into darkness. We need the light of the world to change us from the inside out. And this light, Isaiah says, has dawned so that the Prince of Peace will be able to make peace between us and God. To deliver us from darkness, the darkness of sin, both its penalty and its its power. And it is Jesus who offers us peace that's different, he says, from the world. Peace not as the world gives, but peace as he gives. Peace that Philippians says in chapter 4 is beyond all understanding. Why? Because it changes who we are. It makes us different. We don't have to guess and wonder anymore. Am I right with God? I don't have to wonder, am I doing the right things? Because when Jesus invades my life and I receive his free gift of grace through faith, Believing in Him as the Son of God, that He died for my sins, that God raised Him from the dead. When I receive that gift through faith, I will be forever changed. Will I still sin? Yeah. That's just part of living in this fallen world. But am I forever different? Absolutely. Am I at peace with God? Yes. Is God angry with me anymore? Nope. Not at all. Peace between God and humanity. That's what the Prince of Peace does. And then verse 7 tells us that His glory will never end. His dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Remember, remember who he's talking to. People living under a government that was not the throne of David. He says it will last forever. That it will be with justice and righteousness. Guess what their kings had been? Nothing like that at all. One day there will be a ruler that comes, he says, who will reign on the throne of David. He will come from the family of David. That's why we looked last week at the line of Jesus. It matters where he came from. He will reign, it says, with righteousness, with justice. 
He will be the one whose glory never ends. His glory shines now in us and will shine forever on us. We were made for one purpose, and that is to glorify God forever. The means of doing that is to simply enjoy Him by believing in Him. Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Because His glory will never end, as it says here, we can always fulfill that purpose and have satisfaction in life. Now this morning, for some, it is time to stop living in darkness. It is time, not on your own, but by the power of God, to receive the light of the world. To have your eyes opened and your heart made new, and for all things to become different, as Second Corinthians tells us. And that simply comes as we receive His light, His salvation, His deliverance, His love, His grace, His mercy, His freedom, the life of Jesus today. And you say, man, I've already done that. I mean, I've already, I've already prayed that prayer. I've already asked Jesus to come into my heart and to save me from my sins. And I yet would venture to say that even though the majority of people here would probably say that, and many of us this morning may be living in darkness. And maybe this morning there is sin to repent of. Maybe this morning there's counsel to seek from the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe this morning there is an invitation to the Lord to say, take over that part of my thinking, that part of my will, that part of how I make decisions, that part of my emotions. Lord Jesus, bring light to those things. I wonder how it is that the light of the world needs to invade your world. Every time you pass by some Christmas lights or you see the tree lit up, let me encourage you to remember that what it represents, whether it intends to or not, whether the people that put those lights out intend for it to mean that or not, it represents that Jesus, the light has dawned on a dark world. The light of the world has come. This morning, how does the light of the world need to invade your world? That's the question this morning. Let's pray together.